today I'm very pleased to be joined by Rhys Roth, who's the Executive Director of the Centre for Sustainable Infrastructure. Hello, Rhys. I'm going to kick off by getting you to sort of talk a little bit about how you have arrived at this point in time. So we're going to be talking about industrial symbiosis, but more broadly, how what's kind of brought you to this point where you're involved in discussions of sustainability, industrial symbiosis, decarbonisation? Tell us a bit about your route. It's been a bit of a journey, Alex, back in the late 80s, I did my master's thesis on the greenhouse effect. That really hit me and I, it struck me that this was kind of the mother of all environmental crises. Like if we didn't deal with this, it would affect everything that I care about in the world, human nature uh, and, and otherwise. Um, and so at that time, I really saw industry as sort of the the thing that had to be stopped, like that was the driving force behind climate change, global warming, the greenhouse effect. It's gone through some different names over time. Um, so it's been it's been a quite a journey to to now be talking about industrial symbiosis and the role that industry can play in sort of transforming our economy so that we can live in harmony with this you know this delicate fabric of an atmosphere that sustains us on the planet. So um, quite a few stops on that journey, but that's kind of the broad brush of where I've come anyway. Industrial symbiosis does present some interesting opportunities. So let, let's sort of have a little look at that for a moment. So again, before we talk about the, the work you're doing in this space, what is it and uh, what does it mean? And, and how did you first come across it as a, as a concept? You know, I first came across it <laughs> um, when we, over the course of three years, we we accompanied um, about two dozen Washington state legislators on study tours in Denmark of the really cool sustainable infrastructure, sustainable energy, climate things that they're doing there. And um, and that's where industrial symbiosis was, was really born in the in the city of Kalundborg, Denmark. And the basic idea is the, the waste from one industry becomes a secondary resource for another. And so it, it's kind of the co-location of, of, of companies and facilities that can share not only material waste, but uh, energy and water. So they just maximize the value that they get from, from each unit of energy, each unit of water, each unit of material um, uh, in a system that ends up creating tremendous economic value and environmental value and performance. Um, so our legislators looked at that and looked at examples of industrial symbiosis in a number of contexts in Denmark and, and, and really started to, to think, wow, uh, I can imagine how that could work back home in my district. And we had, we had exactly half Republicans and half Democrats from all over the state of Washington. So a lot of different kinds of districts and that sort of adapt, the concept is just very adaptable uh, to all those different kinds of contexts. So it was very appealing and they've come back with an appetite to collaborate on policy that can enable industrial symbiosis projects and approaches to take root in their in their districts and their communities. Mm. I think um, I remember when we were doing the prep call for this, you said that it was a concept that had captured the imagination across the political divide. That was the phrase you used. And it was 
It was interesting because a lot of the discussion, not only in the States, but particularly in the States around decarbonisation does, does get quite sort of black and white, doesn't it, about do you believe in this? Do you not believe in this? Are you for this? Are you not for this? And actually, the point of this is it's about an economic argument, argument, not it doesn't it doesn't have to sit in that kind of more politicized aspect of climate or climate technology. Um, so, yeah, so to walk us through that, actually, what 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 is it that all sides of the political um, divide? You know, what are they each seeing in it that, that ticks ticks the boxes for them? You're totally right. The in, in the US, we've really been sort of crippled in, in our imagination by this kind of partisan battle and, and warfare. And we tend to, you know, try to see everything in this lens of I'm either on this side or I'm on that side. And we're opponents. So if, if, if my opponent likes this thing, I'm pretty sure I don't like it and vice versa. So in getting these legislators from, from the two sides together, get them out of the country, get them out of their kind of pressure cooker here of partisan battling uh, into a whole nother context where they're spending a week together and sort of looking at these innovative projects that that can bring jobs and economic development uh, to, to communities of all kind of characters, all sizes, and delivers great environmental performance. That That's sort of like the magical sweet spot where the people on the left that really cared about the environmental performance could be like, wow, yeah, and I like jobs. And the people on the right who really cared about the economic development and the jobs could be like, wow, I, I love this. And hey, it's green too. And, and as, long as, as long as there's economic development and jobs for people in my district, I'm okay with green. I, I can deal with that. So it was a place where they could come together in that sense. So you, you gave an overview that the, the idea here is that you have a, a cluster or a, a group of industrials where one person's waste is another person's ideal ingredient for something. What sorts of offtake and what sorts of things are being shared as resources in this sort of structure, this system? Well, Kallenberg was the, um, the, the original, the OG, the, the, you know, it's been 40 years in the making. It really originated by the the companies themselves, the, the city wasn't, wasn't terribly involved at the beginning. And uh, it, it grew very organically. Um, and you had, um, oh boy, everything from um, sort of uh, the capture of, uh, I think sulfur dioxide from, from a, a, a coal plant that, that was fed to a gypsum factory um, to produce wallboard, and you had uh, Novo Nordisk that that had a, I think a lot of biological organics that that they found ways to sort of digest and produce heat and electricity, and 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 they just continued to innovate and find ways where wow, I'm, you know, I could use that. Um, and maybe ten or fifteen years into it, the city started to get involved, and now when we go and visit the the city, the amazing thing about the utilities in in Denmark compared to here uh, is that they really see themselves as multi-utilities. So rather than being balkanized into separate utilities for, oh, we have a, a water utility and then we have an entire separate organization for wastewater, an entire separate organization for energy, separate organization for solid waste. And they really have a single over Uber utility 
with, with multiple business lines. And so they can look sort of strategically about synergies and optimization across those business lines. So that's really exciting. And we're really still quite a ways away from that in the US, but it's inspiring. Um, we also saw, we, we saw that kind of multi-utility um, uh, utility called fours, which um, would convene luncheons that would bring together the local businesses and industry and just talk about kind of waste streams, um, uh, sort of waste heat resources, and the utility played a matchmaking role and started to set up kind of micro symbiosis with particular companies to find to find end uses for waste, to find ways to capture waste heat. Um, so again, that multi-utility was really optimizing and engaging uh, the local um, businesses and companies in the community. And then we saw at the headquarters of Legos in Billund, Denmark, where they produce the world's Legos. Their, their utility there, their, their wastewater treatment plants, we call our, used to be called sewage treatment plants, but they've reimagined themselves to be a biorefinery. Uh, and so they're really serving as an industrial symbiosis platform or hub for the community. You know, DuPont has a major facility there, Lego, a number of other industries, and the, and the biorefinery is, is working with all those industries, taking in particularly the organic uh, and, and water-based waste streams and extracting out maximum value. So, so biogas for uh, heat, biogas for electricity, they're, they're producing super high quality fertilizers and they're doing R&D. They're essentially experimenting with, um, and they're working with Lego. Can we produce from this organic material? Can we produce a bioplastic that Lego could use in its units, its little pieces, um, which, you know, as far as branding, like sewage to plastic toys for kids, maybe you gotta, I don't know about the, how you brand that, but- um, I think you brand that carefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the point is they're they're working with the local industries to find products of value, co-products of value, in addition to the heat, in addition to the to the electricity, in addition to producing clean water and clean fertilizer. They're continuously working to find ways to optimize and and turn waste into value. And the clarity, I mean, presumably these plants and these organizations it's not it's not that they suddenly decided to all move to this place I, I say that because I, I wouldn't necessarily want people to have the impression that this was some kind of greenfield site it sort of has developed over time as much as those businesses and plants have developed over time right? yeah and I think just the the concept of industrial symbiosis the example of Kallenborg it has capacity to to really open up people's imagination so that leaders within these companies, leaders within these utilities, um, bring that kind of innovation mindset and a frame that industrial symbiosis is possible. And they start looking for uh, opportunities to turn cost centers, uh, liabilities in terms of waste uh, into assets and resources. And they bring a lot of skill sets to that. So once they begin to look for that, they, they bring a lot of capability to find, discover, and evolve those kinds of innovative uh, approaches that make things run better, more profitably, and more beneficially for their community and for the 
community of, of industry in their in their locality. And every locality, like you're saying, is is different. It's evolved a different profile of industries, different scale. They have different needs. They have different waste streams. So it's definitely not a one size fits all kind of solution. It's it's more of a a mindset and innovation mentality. So for the, the Washington legislature or the, the people that were going on these trips, did it sort of become quickly clear that there are certain areas or regions of the state where this particularly applies? Or Yeah, well, in Washington state, we've got, it, we're, we're sort of geographically diverse. We have on the east side, we have a lot of um, agriculture. The west side, you know, we have much more population, diverse array of industries, and including uh, technology companies, you know, and, and the legislators on that trip really, they represented the full range of kinds of communities. We got a lot of forest and timber based communities. Um, so they represented the full range of the kinds of communities that we have and the kinds of industrial uh, sort of bases and profiles that our communities have. And so in every case, they were sort of looking at it from the lens of their, their communities and and again, they could see how that concept could be adapted and applied in their community organically. So um, I think that was the magic of it more than like, oh, South, Southwest Washington could really do this well, but it, it was really widely applicable. Yeah, I guess when, you're, when you sort of see something like that in practice, you can also imagine that it opens up some thinking about how you attract new industry as well to your area, your community. It's actually about, well, you already have this opportunity because look at the, the resources that you could be using. And it's a kind of a different way of selling the creation of new industrial clusters, right? Or the broadening out of industrial clusters. It must, I guess, stoke the imagination in, in an in a interesting way. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's true. And, and for example, in a small timber town, timber and shellfish, town uh, on the coast, uh, Raymond. Um, historically, a lot of sawmills, um, one, one had shut down and, and 50 good family supporting jobs went away, which is pretty devastating in a, in a real small town. Um, and so they've been working hard to attract a, a, a pellet mill um, and, and get that started up. And this idea of industrial symbiosis really caught fire there. And so they've been developing um, plans for a sort of an energy innovation district and a, a thermal loop, um, which could provide, you know, harvest the waste heat from the pellet mill kiln and circulate that to other industries, um, like you're saying. So, and, and then there's, they're in conversation with, for example, um, a, a mushroom farm where that waste heat, you know, affordable heat will be really, really valuable. They're looking at algae production that could go to aquaculture, you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, they're, they're, they're now starting to not only look at, oh, let's attract a pellet mill, which is kind of along the lines of industry that we used to have, but let's create this sort of industrial symbiosis, thermal district where we could provide really reliable, low cost heat to other industries that could maximize and optimize value and, and exchange resources with each other. So, okay, well, that, that brings us then on to the uh, industrial symbiosis bill, I think, because that, that was the kind of 
I'm sure there were many steps between those original visits and actually getting to this point, but that's been the, the ultimate outcome so far, right, is this bill that was sponsored across the aisle that, uh, I think I'm right, you said when we caught up had just, has it just been approved or was going up for a final approval? To tell us a bit about the bill and, and the stage that it's at. Yeah, this was the, so when, when these legislators came back from Denmark, they had an authentic, which was pretty kind of unusual, an authentic appetite to collaborate across the aisle. That's what we say here, across the aisle. I don't know if that means anything in Britain, but to, to collaborate on um, policy that can float the boat and benefit communities of all shapes and sizes in all parts of the state and, and deliver this kind of economic development and environmental value together that, that that they really saw that as a both practical and sort of magical in that it can work in in all our different communities uh so so in 2020 legislative session they moved a bill an industrial symbiosis bill it would stand up the nation's first industrial symbiosis statewide program uh it would provide technical assistance to communities to to kind of gestate and grow their nascent industrial symbiosis concepts and provide a competitive grants um, for communities when they've got good strategies that are that are coming together. Um, and that bill in 2020 passed every stage of the process, both houses of the legislature unanimously, not a single vote against it. And then it went to the governor for signature, which finalizes it and stands it up. And right between passage and the governor signing, the, the COVID crisis really hit and ripped open a huge hole in the state budget. And so the governor had to veto any bills that had funding associated with it. So it got, it got vetoed in spite of that incredible support. So then it came back this year. Um, and again, it's gone all the way through the process. It's on its way to the governor now. And that's the stage that we're, yes. <laughs> and hopefully no big surprises and the governor will sign it and we'll have a program. And then, so so let's, uh, fingers crossed, assume assume this kind of continues through that, that signing process. What what will it do and how, how will it be funded? It directs the Department of Commerce to establish this, this industrial symbiosis program with two components. One is um, uh, establishing technical assistance for communities uh, in developing their opportunities around industrial symbiosis. So supporting those folks, giving them technical assistance to be able to think it through, plan, uh, identify what the, what the ripe opportunities are and, and sort of build strategies uh, to do that. And then it, and then it sets up a competitive grant program to provide grants to communities who, who've got exciting and, and promising um, industrial symbiosis strategies coming together. So that, that's the two things that it would do. Um, and so in order to go into effect, it has to have um, dollars in the uh, state operating budget in order to do that. Um, and so, I think that'll be a down payment. Hopefully the Department of Commerce can, can show some positive results and impact, beneficial impact and, and, and the funding can be ramped up over time. And so I, th I think there's real interest in 
attracting federal funding, particularly as you know investment is scaling up in, in sustainable infrastructure at the federal level, in clean energy at the federal level, and climate solutions, uh, that this program could be a good catcher's mitt to that's a base. Sorry, American reference again. But, um, I'm just going to say for the listeners that we do, we know baseball. We have heard of it. We're familiar with its work. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know the cricket terminology. So I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we see this program as, as a, a, a good receptacle for, for federal funding that can be turned into uh, the kind of positive results that, that the feds are, are looking for. Your focus in this is obviously Washington State, but the hope is that other states will see this and be interested in it. So is that, I guess the first question is, are there signs of that kind of initial interest and how else could states benefit from from this process that you and the, the legislature have gone through? Well, in the same way that that it's, a, it, it's sort of quickly apparent when you see industrial symbiosis happening in a bunch of different contexts in Denmark that it could be adapted and applied in a lot of different contexts throughout Washington state. I think it's also can be quickly apparent that that's true in communities all over the US. Um, and, and I think there's a real hunger among kind of practical people in our country to move forward on solutions that just make sense. And, and this just makes sense because it's good for our economy. It provides 21st century jobs uh, with a variety of skill sets, kind of from blue collar to, to white collar and every colored collar in between. And it it's a real practical way to address these really urgent environmental challenges that we have at the same time. And so it it just makes sense from that standpoint. And, and therefore, I think and we think that this is something that's going to be attractive around the country. And, and so we look forward to, you know, the Biden administration um, catching wind of this, seeing this as a pathway that they can they can help carry to other communities. It seems like a, a neat and kind of straightforward solution to some extent for communities where actually maybe there, there has been a lot of job loss already and where actually the kind of move to clean tech, if you don't have this kind of thinking in place, could leave them somehow kind of on the edge of everything. I think it just feels feels like a, a grown up solution rather than a kind of uh, unwittingly divisive one, which sometimes can can fall into play, can't it? So, okay, let me let me ask you a slightly different question. then. so obviously you're here mostly and I was very interested in getting this kind of story of industrial symbiosis out to a wider audience. But I'm interested in, in your thoughts in general on transformation of these old school sectors, sectors. You know, we've talked about industrial symbiosis as one one model that can work in that. But I, I wondered what other things you're seeing, what other ideas you're seeing that interest you or, or what else you think? is kind of on the table that uh, the kind of I keep calling them old school sectors I suppose I mean the foundation industries you know all of our economies rely on them they're not going away anyway they provide millions of jobs all of, you know around the world so we've got to transform what we have rather than wish it away I, I wondered what other thoughts you had on different methodologies or different routes that that we could pursue 
Yeah, and, and what I love about Decarb Connect and the work that you're doing is this focus on these hard to abate sectors in the climate crisis. And, and to me in my career working in this direction, I've just come to really respect and, and be humbled by the capabilities of um, people in, in industry and in business to reimagine um, their business models and operations. Um, and I think just broadly that by sort of changing the frame and the mindset and to really be, you know, to be thinking about industrial symbiosis, to be thinking about, you know, climate friendly industrial processes sort of unlocks them and gives them permission to think outside the box and and, and those people with their engineering capability, their, their expertise in industrial process, they're just so capable of leading this transformation. And, 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 and so I'm not that person and I can stand sort of on the sidelines and, and marvel and clap and support, uh, but it's really wonderful to watch really smart business leaders and, and industrial professionals um, apply themselves to the challenge of decarbonizing these hard to abate sectors um, and to transforming um, old, old guard industry to this new era of, of, of carbon constrained world. And, 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 we, can, and we can definitely do this. Um, Boy, back in 2000, I was involved in sort of beginning to, to start a different kind of conversation about clean energy. And, and back then it was called alternative energy or, and, and, and it very much had this um, smell about it of being sort of like back to the land, hippie, boutique, you know, no serious business people didn't really think too seriously about alternative energy. And, um, and so we, start, we, we started to organize around the idea that the Pacific Northwest could lead the world in this new sector that could become a big jobs engine. And, um, and the key, one of the keys was really to engage the, the technology community, the te technology investors, uh, technology entrepreneurs, uh, and appeal to them and say, look, we've, we've taken out, you've taken out big dinosaurs in, 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 uh, that, that are pillars of our economy and, and transformed whole sectors with, with, with high tech. And that's the kind of know-how um, that could, I mean, and this, this energy sector is a dinosaur. It's been really stable. It's like a $2 trillion dinosaur that's been really stable and dominating our, our uh, big swath of our economy for decades and decades and decades. And it's, and it's just ripe for innovation and transformation. And, and, and so, you know, as, as we were able to get those people thinking about and involved in, in the clean energy transformation, um, that's when things kind of 
unlocked and opened up and and I, and I see these hard debate sectors as the next generation in in transforming old ways of doing things to new and you know as a region we can gain economic advantage by being at the forefront of that it's it's better to be at the forefront of supplying the world with the ideas and the know-how and the technologies to get where we need to go as a, on the planet um, than it is to be sort of reactive to this changes in the global economy. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting when you when you do have the opportunity like you have and like I'm increasingly having to talk to people who are from outside these big industries but are now starting to work with them, like the mindset that the mindset that could be brought in, which is about you know the, the possibility and the commercial opportunity from change uh, to decarbonization I just think is really fascinating so as a kind of a wrap-up thought then you know one, one of the things that's interested me when we were in prep for this and as you're talking is you've had this you know x number of years career in looking at climate from different angles but what have you like when you look back and you see that narrative thread what what is it that has changed over time what have you taken from that you know that, that's bringing you to this this point you, you obviously started out from a point of view of save the world the the industry's the man and now you're in a different place but what what's what kind of what have you learned from the different pro approaches that you've taken or seen throughout that time yeah that's a it's a great question i and i guess fundamentally um it's that there's real power in the common ground solutions where we can have conversation outside of this these political polarization these political identities that where we're in battle with each other if we can create venues and and spaces and opportunities to put aside the partisan battle axes that identity and say let's go on a quest together to find things that really work for our communities we want a thriving prosperous economy that works for people of all backgrounds and and all types and all our different communities and we want to and we want the the world to be healthy and to thrive for generations to come we've got real real challenges on all sides of that but if we can bring those those two things together uh that's a real creative challenge and that's something that you know no matter where you are politically that's something that's fun incredibly fulfilling to work on and that we can actually work on together and we can kind of get to know each other across this divide and go you know i actually like you and it's kind of fun to work with you and um so i think there's great joy in in that and i i think that's just at a, a core soul level that's really appealing to people and i think people are are hungry to to collaborate to find joy and working with even people that are different than them on stuff that's really exciting and really important i mean what more would you want from your professional life than to be able to do that and so you know creating those kind of opportunities those kind of conversations um there's i, I think real power in that that's well, a really positive note to end on thank you Thank you so much, Reese. I think such an interesting concept to sort of shine a light on and, and to see also what a what a different geography, a different sensibility can bring to it, because it will 
it will inevitably develop further and in a different way, you know, in, in the States or in Canada or wherever versus in Denmark. So I think it'd be really interesting to see, you know, how, how it develops over time. But um, thanks very much for talking to us about it. Well, and thank you for, for bringing Decarb Connect to North America. Very excited for Decarb Connect. And um, it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful venue. So you're creating that kind of opportunity and conversation that we're talking about here. So thank you. Well, thank you. And for those uh, listening who did enjoy this, we are having a panel actually at Decarb Connect North America that Reese is going to be on talking about this in a bit more depth. So hopefully we'll see some of you there. Thanks again, Reese.